Have you ever wondered how the separate threads of your life fit in to one big picture? How the individual moments of challenge and triumph connect to one another to form the great meaning of your life? I am Anna Mullins, your Life Story Editor, and I'm convinced that making sense of our deepest pain can help us understand our deepest purpose. In my speaker training program and on this podcast, I help people weave together those confusing, often shameful pieces of their past, revealing the life-changing lessons that create their profound new story. Welcome to Unapologetic Stories, where secrets are out and the truth is in. storytellers. We are in for such a dreamy conversation today because I get to host someone on this podcast who's usually the host of the show. (laughs) actually wanted to have her on the show for a really long time now. Um, And as you'll see in a moment, she's a very busy woman. So it's taken us some time to get her here, but she is here. And for starters, um, as an introduction, she is the host of a morning radio show on Virgin Radio Vancouver here in BC probably know who she is already. Uh, Prior to joining Virgin Radio Vancouver, my guest, Nira Aurora, was a host, reporter, writer, and producer for many different television shows and local magazines. She now has something like 20 plus years of experience under her belt in the media world, crazy, and 18 of those as an actual morning show host. So no pressure, Anna, at all here (laughs) to... Being with the so Aww, you're so Nira, sweet. Uh, Nira does play an active role in the community too. We're going to talk all about this um, and her volunteer work uh, for various charities, including one big fundraising initiative she is taking on at the moment. And she also works as a professional MC and speaker. And I've been so fortunate to have her on the Unapologetically Her stage now for two years running. Um, goodness, there's so much more that we can talk about here. She keeps herself very busy in freelance television, also writes a column called Nira's Hot List. And I assure you, this is only just the beginning for this power. <laughs> so a big welcome today to my friend, Nira Aurora. Welcome, Nira. Thank you so much, Anna. I really appreciate you having me on your podcast today. Oh, you are so very welcome. It is totally my honor. And I wanted to kick off with what I think is probably the most important topic of all, perhaps the most controversial, your new puppy sushi. Oh, yeah. So controversial. (laughs) So controversial. Yeah. So um, I've always loved dogs uh, since I was a kid and my parents would never let me get one. Uh, Just too much responsibility. And, you know, immigrant parents, this country, they had enough going on. They didn't want to also have a dog in the house. Uh, And then we ended up getting a dog together, my husband and I. And um, our dog at that time was Bosco, an English bulldog. He passed away a couple of years ago, unfortunately. We missed him oh so much. And um, I kept harassing my husband. I'm like, we need another puppy. We just, we need another puppy. And he's like, we have three kids already. How are we also going to do the puppy? Um, But, you know, um, we made it happen. There's this amazing rescue organization that's called Thank Dog. I am out. So cute. And they rescue dogs from around the world. They bring them back here locally and they try and find them amazing homes. And uh, Sushi, actually, actually you, want me, you want to see her? 
I really would love okay. to see her. Yes, I've I'll seen her. I know, I know we're on a podcast, but I'll show you. Show so, me the dog. This is our little rescue. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So we adopted, How- yeah, we adopted oh. this little monkey. And what's her breed then? She's white and fluffy for my listeners out there and little teeny tiny like lap size. Yeah, we- so we think she's a Bichon freeze, eh? A Bichon freeze? Yes, okay. And I've never had such a tiny little dog, you know? So it's been quite the learning experience with her and all the grooming. So usually she's like a total furball, puffball, looks like <laughs> just like cotton. And then we went and got her groomed and we came out and she came out and we're like, that's not our dog. Like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> it's like that typical story that you always see like online. You're like, wait, what? That's our dog. But anyways, um, yeah. So it's been really amazing with the kids and her. She's been a little godsend. So she's our little pandemic puppy. <laughs> yeah. I know we got a pandemic puppy too. So I'm kind of, I'm right there with you. It's like the year of puppies. We all yes. have extra comfort in our lives. But as your husband said, like you do have three kids as well. Yes. And a, two working parents. How has the transition been to like add the baby to your family? Oh, it's been really good because the kids also begging for a puppy, begging, begging, begging. And so we said, well, if this is what's going to happen, you have to take on some of the responsibility. So my boys uh, walk her to school in the morning, my two eldest, they take, they walk her. And then my husband meets them along the way to grab the dog. And then on their way home, same thing. I pick them up, but then um, I, I leave like the boys and the puppy at the end of the street. So they walk her back home. Um, I get to usually take her for a walk in the afternoon with my youngest, who's three. Um, and then it's been actually really good because the evening walk is more of a, just a me and sushi walk. Oh. And uh, it's, it's been really good just to clear my mind. Uh, it's, it's a great because I have to take her for a walk. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's been really good for me too. And um, yeah, she's from South, she's been rescued from South Korea. Oh, wow. Oh my goodness. How exciting is that? And you know what? I feel the same way with our puppy who's Halo. She really, it's one of those moments for me where I look forward to it now. I'm like, now I get to go out and I have to carve out. It's physical, almost guilt-free, mom time, me and Halo, we go for our walk. I'll put a post in my ear. Yes. My freedom. And my husband's like, oh, do you want to take the kids for the walk? I'm like, "Mm." Mm -mm. I would like the kids nope. to have a walk. I just don't yeah. want them to be on this walk with me. As much as I love my children, yeah. this totally. I, my husband walks to the door. I'm like, I walk out with the dog. I'm like yeah. dog walking time. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. That's totally my life. So with all of this busyness, three kids, dog. Tell us just for anybody out there who is wondering how in the world Nira Aurora does it. What is a day in the life of somebody who has such an early radio? show in the morning yeah. What's it like for you so uh yeah my alarm clock goes off at 3 45 a.m um Gross. do i hit snooze a couple of times yes <laughs> i do and then i get up and then i i actually just start doing some research on my phone first at home i like kind of like that feel for me it works the best uh and then i kind of get going and now i have the dog too so now in the mornings <laughs> i kind of take her out so i have a little bit of that get out of the house, go to work. I do the morning show uh, at uh, 94.5 Virgin Radio. I, I do the morning show with Johnny and Holly. So it's called Johnny, Holly and Nira's. Johnny called Johnny, Holly and Nira's. <laughs> and it was called Johnny, Holly and Nira. And we are the morning show. And then we also have our producer, Amy. So it's a, it's a wonderful group of us that work together. 
And now because of COVID, we, we've been told like to not stay at the office longer than we need to because it's only essential that needs to be in the, in the building right now. So once we're kind of done, we leave. Um, and that's when I do my conference calls, usually on the drive home, come home and set up my Zoom meetings quickly if I have to do anything for work or if I just have to do some other side related side hustle stuff <laughs> um, or, you know, Zoom calls with uh, parent teacher meetings or if it's any of the volunteer stuff there. And uh, my youngest, who's only three, so she just started preschool. Otherwise, every other day was then coming home to her and playing with her and then doing lunch with her and then getting her down for a nap, then going to get the kids from school, then coming home, getting them snacked up, then a couple of activities, possibly depending on which day and for who. Then you come home, then it's dinner. And then it's like, I got, I got to like my shutdown time. I need to be not accessible to anyone on work nights after eight. I'm like, that's it. 8 PM. I'm done. No me. Oh, I so get that. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. fun. Did your, and your kids would have been home, I guess, as well during COVID at some point when the school shut down. Yeah. yeah. Homeschooling was my nemesis. <laughs> That, is that okay? Tell me about homeschooling. I'm just going to leap right to like Nira, mommy, mommy Nira, because yes. this was one of, it was my nemesis too. It really yes. slaughtered my soul. So talk to me about your homeschooling. So I was watching YouTube videos Ugh. to figure out how to teach my kids their lessons. Like if, uh, math, I'm, I've never been good at math. So I'm like, they'd ask me questions. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll look back to you. I run quickly upstairs. I'm like watching YouTube videos on how to teach my kids certain elements of math. And then their projects, projects that they had to work on, which was so much work because I haven't done that kind of schoolwork in forever. And my patience wasn't quite there because I'm also sleep deprived. I, I was so sleep deprived from work. That is, I'm constantly sleep deprived. So the, the patience to also then be a teacher, like that kind of teacher, like I know I might, I'm my children's teacher every day of their lives, but to be that type of teacher. Yeah. Um, I, I did build a certain type of routine with them that I felt worked best for us as in, you know, they, they, they needed to go outside to get their breaks. Um, I call that like extended physical education, like PE time, gym time. And it, that was the only thing that kept us sane. I was like, you know what? We'll come back to this, go for like a 15 minute bike ride. Just go, come back, we'll do some more work. And then now go outside, shoot some hoops and then go do that. Come, we needed that. Just cut, stop, go, stop, go, stop, go, stop, go. And uh, it was funny because there were so many things that I was being a little bit more relaxed about that my husband was being super strict about when it came to their schooling that I was very shocked about, you know? And I was like, uh, we, okay. We, we have to let some things go. Not everything has to be at 120% right now. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly. Oh, I, I love that you're saying this because I think it's where all of us were at and particularly the mothers. I certainly don't want to single women out entirely, but I know that yeah. women in general had a much harder time during the past year. There's some mm. statistics I think to prove that, but you've got three, mm. so Jay, Avi and Jaya, correct? Yes. Yeah. And how old are they? Like what ages and grades were you dealing with? So at that time, cause I was grade three, grade one and a two-year-old. Ugh. And the other hard part about the homeschooling was they'd be doing these calls with their classrooms, right? And I had to find separate spaces for these kids. Yes, yes totally. And so I had to find a separate space for Shay with his grade three stuff. I had to find a special, uh, separate place for Avi and his grade one stuff. And then I had to keep Jaya, the two-year-old, away from them because all she wanted to do was be a part of whatever her brothers are doing. 
worse, you know? And there's so many times where like my, my, my son would get called out, be like, uh, shake hill, uh, you need to focus. And he's like, Oh, sorry. That's just my two year old sister <laughs> dancing in the background. And, you know, it's not his fault either. It's not my fault either. Like, what did you expect from parents? Like if you have more than one child, it's, it wasn't easy. And then they, they, then the sometimes technology, cause everything went awry. Do you guys remember with Wi-Fi? Everything day. crashing, the, the certain class groups weren't working. This wasn't uh, this this screen, this slide, this that. Then they needed mom, so I'm trying to keep my youngest busy with some like Mr. Maker on the television screen. Yep. You know what I mean? Like it was just it was a constant juggle, 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 juggle. And I'm not gonna lie, I really enjoyed spring break last year because we've never done that before. Where it was because we were not allowed to go anywhere. Yeah. So we hibernated, and it was actually a lot of fun. You know, we had a system, you wake up in the morning, go for a bike ride, then you earn your time on screen. Oh, you want to play a video game? Okay, then you got to go play outside for this many minutes, then that many minutes you get your video game time. Oh, you want to be an iPad? You need, if you read for 45 minutes, you'll get 30 minutes on your iPad. Oh, we did movies, we did like, you know, um, crafts, we went for beautiful walks, we did bike riding. And then as soon as the homeschooling came in, things just completely shifted. Totally yep. different world. Yep. By I, the way, I love teachers. You guys do so much work. Teachers love you. Love my goodness. I, I mean, there, I, I spent one day during homeschooling crying on the phone to my kids kindergarten. Mm-hmm. Teacher, yeah. And she was asking me like, what support do you need? I'm like, is this a joke? <laughs> like, yeah. Oh my goodness. I just, I just broke down. I'm like, yeah. I need, I don't know. I need COVID to not be COVID. I need my kids to be back in school. And I feel the, the exact same degree of chaos. Like I have a studio here, which is where I typically host like my speaker training programs in person. So we converted the studio into a school. So for like week oh. one, my kids were like designing posters. They named the school something. I can't even remember what it was. Now we have this beautiful little workshop and I have all the things required for classroom work. So it was starting out really strong. And then I have a six-year-old, well, she was five at the time. Then I have a 10-year-old. They're not doing the same work. The five-year-old wants to do things like jumping up and down and running. Oh, yeah. She wants her sister to be involved. Well, my 10-year-old is like, she wants to be with her class. Like, it was a nightmare. We couldn't get them to meet in the same times or days or hours with their energy levels. Like, it was just oh my goodness, it was chaos. And both my husband and I trying to work as well, trying to run business yeah. full time. That's us too. We're both essential. My, I'm working, my husband's working. My husband's ex- hours were extended actually because uh, he runs a healthcare facility. So like, you know, the old age home. And so he was working even longer hours. He's never been so stressed out in his career. So you add that stress, that healthcare side, the stress of him going into work, you know, and the exposure really at the end of the day, myself going into work and the exposure plus the children, it's, it's a lot like, thank goodness. Like at that time we were allowed by the time we were allowed to have grandparents help out that was a huge difference. My mom, my husband's mom, they helped out a lot. Uh, It gave me a couple of days where I needed to catch up on some work stuff that would just give me a few hours to, to get that done. Um, I just, I'm so, so, so happy the kids have gone back to school and not just from a selfish standpoint, they needed it. They needed, they need that social structure. They need it. 
need it, need it, need it for their, I mean, in their mental health right now, like I'm, I, I think it's fragile with all of our kiddos and with all of parents and families, everybody really mental health is quite fragile. But as we started to witness it with the kids, I was like, man, oh man, this is not good. This is not good. Yeah. And we've got little guys, right? Like we've got little ones, but I think about like the high schoolers, yeah. I think about yeah. growing up and trying to just figure out who they are and find their identity. And in any case, yeah. So that's, that's COVID for you and me. Mm-hmm. And I want to jump to, let's talk about you as a little person. <laughs> back, back when in, in the days of Nanaimo, you're an island girl. So you were raised on the island. Um, we started to learn a little bit more about you actually at Unapologetically Her 2020. So you performed a keynote talk called Facing Your Race. And this was like right before COVID hit, like days before. A week before? A week before. Yeah, it was crazy. I still, I still cannot wrap my brain around the fact that we had that pocket of time. Yeah. We had that event. I just, I can't even, I can't reconcile that. But your talk was beautiful. It was raw. It was honest. And you talked about your time growing up in Nanaimo and wishing, and this is a quote, that you could simply wake up white. Yes. Yes, I did. I used to have a really hard time with accepting the fact that I was different and regardless of the regardless of the friends I had it's not that they they were like they weren't racist like they knew they weren't racist but there's still that undertone it's so systematic like it's so inside people without people realizing that it's there so regardless of whether they wanted to remind me or not I was constantly reminded by every single angle that I was different. I was uh, the daughter of an immigrant family. Um, You know, that, that changed a lot of the perceptions of people of me automatically. And um, it just seemed just easier. Life just seemed easier if you were white. And I realized that at a very, very, very young age, I just knew that it would be easier if I was white. So some days you would wake up just, I used to call it, and this is wrong. I know it's wrong now, but I wanted to wake up normal, which I thought was white. (laughs) It's so terrible, but I didn't want to. Yeah. It was just, you had to face so much more if you were of color Mm -hmm. and you know, I'm part of the BIPOC community and there's a reason why it's BIPOC. We have a certain understanding of how, hard racism hits certain communities and that's why it is the order that it is because it's black our black brothers and sisters and then it's our indigenous brothers and sisters and then it's the people of color Mm. so I still have to remember I've had it a thousand times easier than the indigenous community and a thousand times easier than the black community I have an understanding of that and I have a respect for that but I also know how hard it is. And I have suffered quite a bit of racism since a very young age. And I, I, my parents did too. And my brother did too. So you see it nonstop. Yeah. And this is, um, it was a real shift. I know for me when I heard your talk. And so thank you for that. Um, it's a real shift for our audience as well. I will say personally, it was like, seeing a side of you or being able to speak about things that I've never heard you talk about before. And right. doesn't mean that they weren't there. doesn't mean that they, you know, it wasn't stuff that you were thinking about, but we just had never heard that from you before. And I have to say, it's been 
a wake up call for everybody. As I think Rachel Rickett says, we are all oppressed oppressors at some level, that racism is a spectrum. And for me as a white woman, seeing where I fall on that spectrum, I think it's a really interesting perspective for you to kind of share that as well, that there is different levels and different layers here of experience and being able to see that and witness that and hear that story from you, I think was exceptional, truly. I think and, and, you know, cause we, we just, you and I just happened to go out for a glass of wine before the event. Cause we just wanted to connect and you got to see that side of me just casually when we were talking. Cause originally I was just going to help you host with the event. Yes. And then I remember you contacted me a couple of days later and went, no, I think you need to speak. And I remember saying to you via text saying, I don't think I'm that interesting. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't think my story is that interesting really. And so I spoke and that was my first time really speaking openly about the racism that I faced growing up. And uh, I, it was, it was liberating. Actually, it was really nice to be able to talk about it. Got some great feedback, but, you know, fast forward three months later and the acceleration of the movement. Yeah. And I remember then messaging you again and thinking, wow, that was so, that was such a, a Nira thing to say that my story was not interesting because mm -hmm. that's what I have been training my brain to think from the very beginning, because I didn't want to make people who are not part of the BIPOC community uncomfortable with my discomfort. Right. That's what it was because whenever you're, if you're part of the BIPOC community and I can only say from my experience, sorry, I can't say it all, but if like people from the BIPOC community may understand this, when we face some form of racism, it felt that if we brought it to attention, if we brought it to someone's attention, that gave it attention. And when that gave it attention, it then reinforced that we're different from you. Right. And when all this time I'm trying to be like you, which isn't the right answer either. So I'm trying to be like you, but then I get hit with these doses of racism here and there. And instead of making it a big deal, like, don't get me wrong. I knew how to stand up for myself in those moments. I grew to understand that and be like, no, that's not okay. But I didn't know that I could take that to someone at work or that I could talk to a manager about that. I'm talking about since I was 13 years old that I've been in the workforce I'm talking about, right? I did not know that I could do that. I always knew how to stand up for myself thinking that if I did that, I'm going to turn this into something. And then it's like, oh, there she goes again. And I don't want to bring that discomfort onto anyone, even though I was constantly uncomfortable. And yet none of that narrative too, and what you were absorbing was actually your narrative. I mean, that was being fed to you, quite frankly, by white people who were showing you probably your entire life that you know, we don't really want to hear this. We don't want to know your story. We don't want to know your experience because it makes us uncomfortable. Oh yeah. And I know there was so like, there was so many opportunities, even little things in school that I'm talking about where, and you know, I'm, I was always hairier than all the other girls mm. just was like, I have dark hair. And so when you have dark hair, then the hair on your arms is going to be dark. The hair on your legs is going to be hard, dark. And I remember looking at other girls and staring at their legs going, but they have the same amount of hair, but theirs is just blonde and it doesn't show. But I was the one who always got ridiculed and made fun of and got called names and the boys and girls alike made me feel very, no, I mean, it's not that they made me, their comments in turn, I was uncomfortable, mm. you know, things like that. Then you're like, I just want to grow up. I just want to be white. Then maybe nobody would talk about my hairy legs and call me a mammoth. You know what I mean? Right. 
things like that. Like just, you're going through all these changes as it is as a child and, and crushes. I remember there's boys who never wanted to, I knew they liked me. I always had the feeling they liked me, but they never wanted to admit they liked me because then you're admitting to something totally different. That's not the norm, right? It's, it just wasn't the norm. I get it. My dad was scary. <laughs> like it was a lot of drama to, if you did want to even date near it, cause we do have to be a hidden relationship, all that kind of stuff. Cause I wasn't allowed to date, but you know, nobody wanted any of that. They didn't want to make any of that extra effort or they didn't want to admit any of that. So you look back and you're like, Oh wow. Like no wonder it was, it was hard. It was hard. But, um, I I was, I've always been a fighter though, you know, fought through the system throughout, throughout. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I'm so grateful that you did share your voice with us. Like I really am because I know that, um, our event has always tried to do diversity, but I know, and I I will admit this, we didn't do diverse stories well. We didn't actually showcase the experience as much as we showcase the person. And for me, that I think was always a missing piece and seeing the actual stories rise. I mean, I know the power of story. I know the power of when people talk, but I don't know the power of for you personally. I don't know what that feels like for you to be able to have that stage or that voice. So hopefully, I mean, that was a positive experience for you as well, but as, as much as it was for us, I hope it was, it was, it was, it was, it was really cool actually to have, you know, people come up to me after and just say that they completely related uh, to some of my stories and some of the quirkiness of, you know, my adolescence and, you know, Um, I think it, those experiences helped me become a little bit more empathetic to people and their feelings and just even have other people who came up and said, wow, I had no idea that that's what it was like, or that's what it could have been like. So just opening up other people's eyes to see things from a different angle is, is super cool too. Yeah, an absolute gift to us, no question about it. As a, I mean, a celebrity, I'm putting this in quotes because I feel like everybody's kind of a celebrity (laughs) some days, but you are kind of a a traditional media celebrity and certainly a celebrity in our local area. Uh, How has navigating social media been for you this past year, given the kind of heightened global awareness of these conversations? Yeah, you know, it's been very interesting, a major learning experience. Uh, I became quite vocal after the death of George Floyd and with my support to the movement and my disgust with what happened. And I'll be honest, I lost a lot of followers. I did being vocal about it, but that's okay because if that's what's going to make you walk away, then I don't really need you as a follower anyways. But it was disheartening because you see people's accounts grow and grow and grow. And I don't want to ridicule, but with, you know, a lot of stuff that is a little bit um, on the fluffier side mm-hmm. and all oh, the attention and the growth of their different accounts, it's frustrating because then you're like, okay, well, maybe if I start posting about my lipsticks or my makeup or my hair more then I'll get more followers. And then I lose followers when I really put up something I believe in or something that I stand for. So that part was, it's still hard because I sometimes wonder what I should, what I should be doing and if I should be doing differently and what I want to use my social media platform for, but I'm going to continue. I, I have a lot of beliefs and I want to stand for what I stand for. And yeah, I mean, you get the side of me that loves fashion. I'm a little fashionista. I always have been. I love a certain style and yeah, you'll get a little bit of that. You'll get my family, you'll get work, 
You'll get the goofy side of me. You'll get my hot list side. And yeah, you will get me talking about how you can be an ally to the anti-racist movement. You will get some information from me about the I Stand With Farmers uh, you know, uh, campaign that's on right now, too, because it's the largest protest in human history and it's happening in India. And I do believe in standing up for humans. So pe for people who are sitting there and saying it's not our problem or why do we care? Why do we want to be involved? Or if you're a human and you care about other humans and you want to think about the fact that they're not being treated properly, then yes, you do want to take a stand. And if you eat, if you eat, you want to care because farmers are the way we get our food and the farmers in India that are standing up for peacefully standing up for their belief system. They're also making a statement for all farmers in the world because this can happen anywhere what's happening with the farmers in India. Um, it, it's, it, it's, it, it can get quite political. I don't really understand the political side of things. So I don't want to say something I don't understand, but I do understand the human side of things. And I do believe in peaceful protests and I believe in standing up for people who, who need to be stood up for. So you'll get that side of me as well. And you know, my charity side. So I'm hoping, I don't know, whichever direction I'm kind of going that some, someone finds it interesting enough to stay on board. <laughs> to follow, <laughs> yeah. you know? I mean, I, I love seeing you speak up. I love learning from you, frankly, and I, I hope that others do, but it's not a real foreign conversation either. Like one of the things that on a recent episode I talked to Mike Johnson about was yeah. about conscious influence. And specifically yes. he said as well, as soon as he speaks up about uh, in support of Black Lives Matter movement or um, really against any white contestants that are in the Bachelor franchise, he loses followers. So oh, he, he does too. Like a ton. And wow. he, his white counterparts are actually gaining followers at the exact same time. So this is definitely a, a horrific trend right now as far as social media goes. And it's one of the reasons I don't love social media. I don't know how to trust followerships or how to, you know, really weigh this landscape. I don't even know how to articulate my thoughts around this. It's a really troubling landscape yeah, for me. It is. And that's why I've been really thinking about it. Like what, what do I want people to get when they follow me? What am I hoping for? I'm still trying to figure that out. And sometimes I think about it, like, you know, the saying like you are what you eat, right? Yeah. So I analyze sometimes those words and I wonder, like, are we what we follow? So you are what you follow, whether it be on social media, whether it be books and authors that you read, whether it's a lifestyle brand, whether it's a consciousness, whether it's a level of spirituality, what are we following in every, like, I'm not just social, like what in life are we following? Whose words, mm. whose wisdoms? are they our own are they someone else's are they reinforcing love are they reinforcing hate what are we following so those are questions that i've been asking myself a lot lately and i kind of sometimes i feel lost when i'm trying to figure it out yeah. and it's been very 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 frustrating because i feel so caught in this strange time i work with two um amazing on-air hosts with me who are johnny and holly and and they're white my producer, Amy, is white. All three of them are so, so supportive. But it's so frustrating for me sometimes because I can say something and I get backlash sometimes for things I say because it's easiest to kind of blame the person of color for, you know, saying things. Um, 
but sometimes like, you know, it's frustrating because I'm asking for their allyship because when a, when a person of color says something, if someone has a racist uh, point of view, when someone of color is trying to um, showcase, educate a person who may be racist is not going to listen to me. They've already seen my color. So already it's, it's, it's jaded, it's biased. But if I can use my coworkers like Johnny and Holly to deliver the message for me, it's going to get through. Hmm. So what's frustrating for me is sometimes when I, I want my message said, it gets through to more people when they say it. And that's where I understand the whole amplifying melanated voices and how melanated voices are constantly being pushed down because, and it happens everywhere. You watch it on social media, a person who's not part of the BIPOC community can say something that a person from the BIPOC community has said, and they get all these accolades. Good for you. You're, you're supporting, proud of you, but yet they don't want to support the people from the BIPOC community and lift them up and raise them up. It's very, it's very strange. It's very, it's, it's a confusing place for me to be too, because I need you. I, I need my non-BIPOC community. Mm. I need you to spread the word, but then it's, it's frustrating for me. Yeah. Well, no kidding. And uh, this is so enlightening though, too, is just, is hearing this and hearing the battle, the internal battle that you have between I need you, but also how incredibly frustrating it is to not be the one that's being heard right now, that the one that isn't getting click like or click followership. And you're absolutely entirely not wrong. Like I can see, and I will scroll social media and I will see white celebrities, white influencers post something about anti-racism, anti-racist work. And white people are like, oh, this is great. It feels like something I can yeah with they're liking they're following they're they're giving them the like allyship gold star they're getting all of the like social media high fives for being such a hero and you're absolutely right the people of color are losing the followers for saying the exact same thing because it looks more threatening i suppose in some way it's harder i mean i, I can't wrap my brain around that myself well, I've tagged some, you know, big, like with the bigger influencers, I've tagged them on some of my posts that are about uh, allyship, anti-racism, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I don't see the support back, but if another person, like, I'm not going to name any names, I see it from the non-BIPOC community was to post it. And it's probably something I posted last week already. And then they, they post it. Whole, like it's 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 incredible it's absolutely it's it's mind-blowing some days but you know what I'm not going to let that be a deciding factor of um what I want to continue posting and if I still want to continue posting and how I want to do it it is what it is well I I I mean I I I kind of am taking a deep breath because I kind of I, I love your ambition to move through this uh, and sort of accept what it is. But I also want to say, I don't want to accept what this is for you. I don't want mm -hmm. to accept your frustration and your feeling isolated and your feeling like you're being pushed to the side when, I mean, I know at least the audience at Unapologetically Her and anybody who knows you personally knows how powerful your voice is and how powerful this message is. And if 
anyone is listening out there who is starting to have maybe a little bit of a wake up call here around what Nira is saying and seeing the difficulty um, for people of color having to navigate this landscape when we think it's difficult as white people navigating this landscape, trust me, that is a drop in the bucket. Explain to us truly, like when you say it's so frustrating, can you just really explain what that feeling is for you when we are not being conscious consumers? Because that's the other side of conscious influence is having media literacy and conscious consumerism from the people clicking like and follow. Yeah, I mean, it's frustrating because it's it's not just the non-BIPOC. I also got to call out some of my BIPOC friends as well. Because what happens is when I post something that's about anti-racism or allyship to the movement, people in my community, they expect that from me because they're like, well, yeah, of course you should. You're, you're Nira and you have a responsibility. You work in media. You should be using your voice. You're a person of color. They already have those expectations of me. So when I do it, it's like, well, yeah. Got it. Yeah. Obviously. So then when someone who's part of the non-BIPOC community puts something up, they get put on a pedestal because the expectation is not there. Then there's this heroism that goes along with it, whereas it's an expectation for me. So that part is also frustrating. And it's frustrating because in my community, I love and adore my Indian community, my Indian culture, the heritage. But, you know, sometimes I'll get heavily criticized by people in my own community because whatever I'm doing is not enough or the wording I used isn't good enough or I don't do it enough. And that's frustrating too. And then I'll see them go off and like and comment on other people's posts. And we're part of the problem instead of amplifying me who I'm, I'm, I'm in the community with you instead of raising each other up, we're still systematically taught deep, deep, deep down that we need to highlight our non-BIPOC community. It is so ingrained in us. Yeah. Just keep trying to lift them back up. And I'm, I'm, I've been a victim of it as I'm not a victim. I've been, I've made those decisions myself, of course, but I'm learning and I'm trying to figure out how do I now showcase to my, my community and even the BIPOC community that I also want to make that conscious effort to do more support, more showcase, more, more love, because it shouldn't just be assumed that it's there. We need to showcase that it's there. Yeah. I love that. One of the things I, I had early on in 2020 at kind of the beginning of the pandemic, I remember it must've been during Amplify Melanated Voices. Like there was a time frame. at one point there was like a week, right? I mean, there was just like this one week movement and I was resharing posts from obviously Melanated Voices. And here's one example, you know how people make a post and it's got various slides in it. There's yeah. like one slide, then two slides and three slides. And it's quite a lot of information that they've put a lot of work into. And so I was posting it. And what I was noticing was that um, my followers, and I don't have a lot. I mean, my social media profile is limited because I don't spend a lot of time there and I don't love the platform, but my followers would watch my stories on my platform, <clears throat> excuse me, and then they wouldn't go and follow the person who's, uh, who had actually created the work. 
Right. I could go back and I could actually check because I don't have a ton of followers. I can actually do a little due diligence around this. I can see who watched my stories. I can see who kind of followed along the story. And then I can actually see if they went and followed that person who I was trying to amplify. And so I got to the point where I was like feeling really frustrated by this and thinking, I don't know if I'm, I'm doing this right. And that's my own stuff. That's my own fragility coming up as well. And that's the work that I'm unpacking. But I started to just post the first slide and say, if you want more, go and consume it on that profile. Don't consume it through a white profile because that kind of centers my profile and my voice and instead of the person I'm trying to amplify. So I actually yeah. know if that's the right answer. I, I'm open to feedback on whether or not that's a better approach or not a good approach as far as sharing and creating and amplifying. I don't know what's a better approach, but I do feel that people will actually go and see that looks like a good piece of information. I want to go read it there instead. Mm-hmm. That's a good way of, you know, you trying to like kind of, redirect the narrative so you're like okay here's a teaser we call it a teaser here's a teaser you want more tune in tonight so if you want more go tune into that actual account right and that that is that is a way to do it that is a way to get people thinking that is a way of people um to get people to start changing who they are following and what they are following and again it's like you are what you follow right so if we sit back and you start looking at what am I following online? If even if you want to dissect it that way, are you getting the information that you feel? Are you proud of it? If someone was to be able to see your follow list, are you proud of it? Are you proud? Are you proud to see what you're consuming? Mm, you are what you follow. This is so good, Nira. Like I'm really, I, I'm hopeful because I'm getting so much out of this conversation, but I always do when you and I talk, I'm hopeful that the listeners too are really paying attention to this and, and picking up some of this wisdom from you. Cause I think it's, critical. Oh, thank you. Thank you for giving me a platform to be able to talk about some of these serious things. Cause you know, you don't get to just do that often. No. Well, any, seriously, anytime I would, I will make myself as inarticulate and uncomfortable as I put <laughs> means raising your voice any louder. Cause I just love it so much. Now you have said before, um, that your personal mantra is work hard play hard and give back. And recently with those three things in mind, I noticed that you have joined forces with an organization called Options Community Services uh, through a fundraising initiative. So talking about amplifying your voice for good, this is one, certainly one way to do it. Can you tell us about the Options Community Services initiative that you're a part of? Yeah, so Options Community Services, an amazing organization in the Lower Mainland, and we've worked so much with them, just with my kids in their school, and I've always been so proud to be associated with them when we're putting together all these Christmas hampers to help out families, just to give them a beautiful holiday experience, and um, I, I was asked to be a part of this affordable housing initiative. It's a $1.5 million project. And uh, it's Options 50th anniversary. So they thought, okay, how about we get 50 women in the community and make them kind of our community leaders to help out with this affordable housing initiative? What it is, this $1.5 million project is going to be 100 units. 70 of those units are going to be at a rate of $375 a month for rent. Wow. And stay there. Uh, The rest will be market price. 
the other 30, was 70. 70 is going to be affordable housing. And if you qualify, that is your affordable housing rental unit. It gives you a chance to get back up on your feet and think about it. It's women who have fled from, you know, domestic violence yes. and left with nothing. They left nothing. Uh, they left with nothing and have nothing. Uh, think about maybe children who are part of the foster care program and maybe it just didn't work for them. Maybe it failed them in some way or another and now they're lost and they don't know where to go. Now they're 18 or older and don't really have the skills that they need. So options would help them get the skills they need to be able to find afford like proper jobs and then get them the affordable housing project for them to be able to start their life and get back up on their feet. Refugees who come to the country again with nothing. Uh, think about people who are um, dealing with addiction issues and finally have been able to get themselves clean and now just need a chance to rebuild their lives. People who are struggling with mental health, again, finally just need someone to, you know, give them a chance. And I think that's all this is. And for some reason, this really, really, really resonates with me. Um, I'm first generation Canadian. My parents are immigrants. I've seen a lot. I've, you know, I come from, um, I had a lot of dysfunction growing up. Uh, for different reasons. I mean, could spend hours talking about that another day, but you know, I, I understand. Yeah. That'll be round two, episode two with Nira. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I just have this empathy for people who need a chance and this affordable housing project is that chance. So 50 women in the community, we each have a goal. I have to raise $25,000. $25,000 and that will go to this amazing affordable housing initiative. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot. I'm, I'm not as skilled and schooled with, um, with asking people for money, but it's not for me. It's for the community. It's not for you. It's for, yeah, absolutely. And uh, let's just put it out there then for our listeners today. How can they contribute to your campaign? Uh, there is a link. It's on my social media as well as right on the bio page. Uh, you can see it right away. And it's, it's at Nira Aurora, if you're on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, and um, you can find the links there. Also, you can go to womenofoptions.ca and you can find my name there somewhere. But you know, at the end of the day, uh, all of us women are working together. So it, it doesn't matter to me who you support it's us trying to bring this money together for this affordable housing project, but obviously I do have my goal. So if you're looking for my name, it's, it's up there. I would really appreciate it. Uh, I would love that. And of course, tax receipts are going to be issued and every single dollar counts. I swear, even if it's five bucks, yeah. it all goes towards this cause. And so many people have been through the options program and have said amazing, remarkable things about options, community services. So if you can, you know, womenofoptions.ca slash Nira Aurora. So it's N-I-R-A-A-R-O-R-A. That's incredible. And I've witnessed it just even in the recent past online as well with some fundraising things. If enough people donate 25 bucks, mm -hmm. like amazing things can be, amazing numbers can be reached. Yes. It really is about just anything that you can, anything that you yes. feel comfortable with. It really will I mean, it, everything makes a difference. And even yeah. just your energy and your momentum as a contributor, if you can't uh, find it in your account or your wallet to contribute, then share the post. Yes. Or share the information with friends and family and your own social media community. Allow people to consume that information. 
Yes. That's, that's exactly. good conscious influence at the very least. Yeah. For sure. And you said great. Like if, if this is even something you can just spread the information about, I would really, really, really appreciate that. Mm, what a great project. So tell us kind of like what's coming up for Nira. What's coming up for Nira outside <laughs> initiative outside of new puppies and families and homeschooling and radio shows. I'm trying to raise $25,000. $25,000. Yes. I don't know. I, I think about that often. Uh, I sometimes I've always had this thing inside me. I don't know what it is, this itch. And sometimes I used to look at myself and think, oh, like, you just don't know how to be present, Nira. You just don't know how to be thankful. You just don't know how to enjoy the moment. So I used to struggle with that with myself very often. And then I realized, no, I don't think that's what it is. I think, no, I do know how to still enjoy what I have and be thankful. I have a major, you know, attitude for gratitude, for sure. I'm always constantly thankful for everything I have and thankful every single day for my, my children, my family, um, my husband and the job that I love that I get to do every day. But sometimes I feel like I need to do more. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I tried to kind of like put out that fire for a few years. I kept trying to put out that fire inside of me but it wasn't, it's not willing to go out. So <laughs> it just I thought, yeah, I was like, okay, instead of like trying to put it out because I tried to do that for so many years thinking I have a problem. Um, yeah, maybe it's not meant to be put out. Maybe it's meant to be fueled. So that's what I'm, that's where I'm at right now. I'm trying to figure out how to fuel my fire. I love that. And I mean, I certainly will be in the crowd cheering you on and buying tickets to whatever events you are speaking at and putting you on as many stages as I can. Um, Cause you are available for speaking, even for virtual stuff. I think yeah. you can fit it into your busy schedule. Um, yeah. Beautiful speaker. If you're looking for somebody to either host an event or to perform at an event on any of these topics or so much more, cause you are just the most fun, then we'll put that out there as well for Nira's future. Uh, I want to ask you, cause this is something that you do on uh, your radio show. You talk about celebrity hot topics and celebrity gossip and the celebrity buzz that's out there right now. Is there anything that you have your eye on in the current pop culture world or in the media that you're just really buzzing about right now? Is there anybody, anything, any? I'm so super curious. And at the same time, I just, I'm really kind of mesmerized with the power of Taylor Swift. I really am. Me too. I, you know, there's so many layers to that girl. And I've always been so like, but she's such a, she's a child, you know, and the things she had to even start with as a child and where she, and then I forget she's an adult woman now, yes. an adult woman. And I still feel like, I feel like protecting her, being her mother sometimes in situations where I'm like, no, no, girl's got this. She's got this. Yeah. And um, I find her so fascinating and the following that she has so fascinating and the Swifties so fascinating. And just when Taylor doesn't say much on Twitter, but when she does, it has an impact. And she's a very fascinating person to me. And I think she's really trying to also reevaluate how she wants to formulate her powers in which direction you can see that she's thinking a lot more now before she delivers there there's a lot of that a lot of growth a lot of change 
So I've, I, I, I do like, I do like talking about her and it's always in the positive, of course, you know, um, she just recently was very upset with Netflix because of that show, Ginny and Georgia, I believe. Yes, yes I saw something. I, I didn't know about that until just today, actually. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Across my feed and I'm like, oh, I wonder what's going on here. I meant to dig into it, but yeah. Yeah, you, uh, we talked about it this morning about, you know, there was a line that was using the show saying you go through boys or men like Taylor Swift. And Taylor Swift, like she clapped back and she's like, excuse me, like that is so 2010. Like 2010 wants their joke back. Mm-hmm. and let's not try and bring women down to feel powerful. Like pretty much, I, I don't have the exact quote in front of me. And she was very upset with Netflix for letting that line stay in there because she did Miss Americana, which is her documentary. And she partnered with Netflix for that. Um, and you know, the, the question was like, should she have something? Should she have said something? Did she even need to? Because everybody was already team Taylor, right? Like as soon as this was happening, but if girl wants to roar, let her roar. Like if she's like, no, that's not okay. Then let her say that's not okay. And she's so right. Like if that was a man who had her kind of dating roster, it wasn't even a bad dating roster. She was young and she was dating. Uh, She didn't cheat on anybody. She didn't do anything that was, I don't know, questionable integrity wise. It was, you know what I mean? Whereas for men, we usually hear about how they're always constantly cheating on their partner and that's where the drama kind of starts, you know? So if it was a man in her position, would this, would that have happened? Would that line have been used? Yeah. I think definitively not definitively not. There's always, she's always being dragged for having literally more than one boyfriend. Again, it's just like this virgin complex that we keep. And so what? Like I now look back at, you know, my years and I wish that maybe I didn't have those fears because I did. I really cared what someone might think about me, might say about me. Um, culture played a huge part in that for me, being of Indian culture, because there's a lot of, you know, negative uh, energy that can go along with that too. And just of your reputation and what your expectations are from your family culturally. But I wish, I wish I didn't have that fear as much. And I wish maybe that I had dated more or been a little bit more, upfront with with who I wanted to date or not date I don't know I look back and I wish I had that confidence good for her but you're right though because I I look at somebody like her too and think what a powerful role model for Mm -hmm. powerful literally powerful empowered women who are assertive and making their own choices for relationships and love and how long they stay in relationships and what happens to those relationships and she's in control as far as we can see from the outside what a great message to send to our children and our daughters to like, I don't know, try out life a little bit. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, and at the end of the day, like, I think she's a, she's a wonderful success story to, to show girls. Yep. I wholeheartedly agree. And you are a wonderful success story to show you. Oh, thank you. And young women and women everywhere and even men and people of color and not people of color. I think your voice is a strong one. And I thank you so tremendously for being a part of the podcast today. This has been (laughs) a killer conversation. Uh, Just loved it. Thank you for being here. Uh, Anytime. Um, I really appreciate you using your platform uh, because that's what it is right now. Part of the allyship and you know, it's not just the movement. It's also about w- women and supporting other women. That's all part of it too. And the messaging that we want to put out there and the positive energy and, you know, you do that too. So thank you so much. You're so welcome. Truly, truly, this microphone is here for you anytime. We can amplify your voice. I'm down for it. Oh, I love it. Thanks. Thank you.
Well, that was just such another wonderful conversation. I am so fortunate to have this podcast and be able to have guests on here who, as I just just kind of said to Nira on the pause there, I said, um, I don't even know. I, I'm so inarticulate sometimes when I face storytellers and voices that are so profound. And I don't even know what to say, really. I fumble my way through these conversations. And as I should, I mean, I'm still learning and unlearning, especially a lot of conversations around race and uh, people of color and how they feel. But that's not my place to uh, share how I believe women of color feel and especially not navigating this global pandemic as well as all of the other movements happening at the moment. But it is our job to fumble our way through, be uncomfortable with the conversations, say the wrong thing, be open to feedback. And more importantly, as Nira says, be open to conscious consumerism. You are what you follow. You are what you follow, what you take in into your environment. It means so much. It tells a story. It creates a narrative. So here's a challenge and I'm going to do it too. I'm going to go and look at who I follow and not just specifically who shows up as I scroll my feed, because that is something to do with algorithms, but actually go into my follower list and have a look. Who am I following and why am I following them? And, you know, maybe it doesn't warrant an unfollow as much as it warrants a question to be more media literate, to look at that profile and say, what is it that I'm absorbing from this account? Am I being a critical thinker? Am I being analytical about what my eyes are seeing, what my ears are hearing if I am listening to Instagram stories? What is it that I'm taking in and not... Does it benefit me? Because I think I wouldn't have followed them if I didn't in some way consciously or subconsciously believe it was going to either entertain me or benefit me in some way. But is this benefiting the more critical and important dialogue? Is it benefiting uh, the people who are most and more in need of being seen and heard? So that's the question I'm gonna ask myself. Um, that's gonna be my work. And I hope it's your work as well. I thank Nira again for being here and storytellers. Another beautiful episode of Unapologetic Stories. Until next time. Thank you for joining this edit of the Unapologetic Stories podcast. If you're ready to share your truth and rewrite your personal life story, connect with me at unapologeticstories.com for all the details on speaker training, storytelling, and strategizing your way through this one big life. If you've enjoyed listening, we would love for you to leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast listening app or Apple Podcast. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Unapologetic Anna for new speaker training start dates. Until next time, stay brave, stay unapologetic, and keep bringing in your truth. <laughs>